Does anybody want to admit to this? Well, thank you. Wonderful. Great choice. I did see somebody drove in tonight in a white Mercedes. Anybody would admit to that? And they parked over the line right in the middle so nobody would bang their car up. You usually have to do that at Walmart, not at church. But you know your members better than I do. Your pastor is very kind, and I appreciate his kindness, appreciate the lovely room, the great meals, tremendous begun pie that Sarah Bryan made for us last night. We had some of it before I went back to the room, and I even shared. I gave one pecan each to Brother Baradowski and Brother Wall. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, if you would, please. I gave you a shortcut in Sunday school. I'm going to give you another one tonight. If you didn't know anything about God's requirement for the family, if you had no idea the Bible responsibilities of a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a child, but you got this one principle and lived by it, you'd be okay. If you knew nothing about what a church member should do or be, but you live by this principle, you'd be all right. If you live by this principle, you'll never say something you have to apologize for. You'll never do something that you regret later. In Ephesians chapter 5, God gives us great instruction for the family. He talks about submissive wives, loving husbands, faithful parents, obedient children. But before he says any of that, he says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Lord, would you guide me? Give me the spiritual power and the physical strength that I need to do what you want done tonight. Have your way in every one of our lives. Bind Satan and those unclean spirits that follow his leadership. May they fail as they seek to snatch the seed of your word away from the soil of our hearts. Help us to receive gladly what you have for us. Bless the preaching, bless the invitation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to start by telling you about a problem. There is a scriptural reality. We just read it. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now we know that unsaved people can never please God. The plowing of the wicked is sin. We know that backslidden, carnal, ungodly, worldly Christians cannot please God. But I need to take it a step further. Saved. Sincere. Separated scripture reading. Faithful church attenders doing their very best. Cannot please God. 
unless they're filled with the Spirit of God. The second problem, there's the scriptural reality, the second part of it, I want you to notice that our real problem is self-reliance. The Lord Jesus said, without me ye can do little. Is that what he said? Without me you can do, do what? Do you believe that? One of the hardest things I have to do in my life is to remember to rely on the Spirit of God. I've been leading people to Christ since before I could read. My dad had a little book called Life's Greatest Question. It had pictures in it. It shared the gospel. And he showed me how to go through that book and give people the gospel. Before I could read the words in the book, I'd share the gospel with people. I've led a lot of people to Christ, a lot of places. And here's what happens. I think I'm pretty good at it. And I'll be sharing the gospel with somebody. I'll be thinking, ah, this is great. This one's going to get saved. And then maybe I'll think this will be a great illustration. And it's like the Spirit of God says, you want to do this one by yourself? Or would you like some help? I never saved anybody. I never changed anybody's life. I never convicted anybody of sin. God does that. God is graciously pleased to use us as his instruments and his messengers. But self-reliance always means that we leave God out of the picture. When I was in college, I got the call slip. Remember call slips for the Monty? Little pink call slips from the chairman of the music department, Gail Gingry. Now, I got call slips all the time from the dormitory supervisor, from the dean of men. I got in a fair amount of trouble, but I wondered what in the world I had done to offend the chairman of the music department. Well, it turned out they needed a bass in their choir, and he asked me if I'd join the choir, and I did. Then later on, he said, you ought to take lessons, voice lessons, so I did. This is the result. <laughs> and uh, the first song he ever had me learn was No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. Great song by Charles Weigel. Years went by, I was pastoring our church, been there some years, the music coordinator put me on the schedule to sing a solo. I thought, I'll sing, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I knew the song, I ran over with the piano player, I went to sing it Sunday night. Didn't have the music with me, didn't need it. Now, I was not thinking, wow, I'm gonna knock their socks off. I'll probably get a recording contract out of this. I wasn't thinking that. I just knew that I could sing the song. I knew it. I practiced it a little bit. I'd known it for years. I got up and I sang, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. My next CD will be out in April. And my mind went completely, irretrievably blank. But I'm a slow learner. I didn't say, Lord, help me. I said, well, that's all right. I'll make up the verse, and then I'll, I'll get it on the chorus. So I sang, he's so wonderful and good and kind and true. 
He is gracious, and his love is everlasting. What he's done for me, I know he'll do for you. And then I sang, no one ever cared for me like Jesus, and I couldn't remember anything else. I made up the chorus. I made up the second verse. I made up the second chorus. One of our secretaries thought, oh, he's found new words, and then she said, nah, he's making that up. What was my problem? I thought I could do it. Now, maybe you're a better Christian than I am. Maybe before you discipline your children, you stop and say, now, Lord, these are your children. You said they're an heritage from you. I'm to rear them in your nurture and admonition. So, God, control my mind and my spirit, and I'm going to say what I should say and the way I should say it. Maybe you do that. My mother didn't. My mother's a good woman, hard worker, generous, faithful in her Bible reading, loved the Lord. My mother would say to us when we messed up, well, I'm the oldest of five, and she would say, I'm going to jump down your throat and dance on your liver. I do not know what that meant. I'm, I was pretty sure I did not want it to happen. And I'm pretty sure it was not in the spirit. Maybe you wives, before you speak to your husband about something that troubles you, always say, now, Lord, I'm to honor him like I honor you. I'm to be supportive and submissive like I would be to you, so give me wisdom to say just the right thing, just the way you want to say it. Maybe that's what you do when he drags his muddy boots across your freshly cleaned kitchen floor and leaves a trail of clothing from the door that he enters in all the way to the bedroom. He's doing that so you'll know where he is. You can track him easily. Now you ladies are no better. You will never persuade me there's not a difference between men and women. The Bible says that, but I know it. There is something instinctive in every woman that makes her have an urge to fill every hole, every pocket, every nook, and every cranny in the automobile with some kind of trash. <laughs> Straw wrappers, tissues, Kleenex, sales receipts. You women are crazy. Why, you treat the car and the garage just like we treat the rest of the house. Maybe your husbands, before you speak to your wife about something that displeases you, pray and say, my Lord, I'm to love this woman as you love the church and gave yourself for it. I'm to love her as I love my own body. Help me to say just what I ought to say, just the way I ought to say it. I uh, read a quote by Wally Criswell. He was a great Southern Baptist preacher, pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas. He got saved, as I understand, in a meeting where John Rice was the song leader. Wally Criswell said, if the Holy Spirit were taken out of the world, 95% of all Christian work would continue. Think about that. If he's right, and I think he is. 
19 out of 20 Sunday school lessons, 19 out of 20 specials, 19 out of 20 of our witnessing opportunities, our discipling endeavors are done in the flesh and not in the power of the Spirit of God. There's a problem. And then, I want you to see that there's a principle, two principles. One's about our nature. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, and, excuse me, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary, the one to the other, so that she cannot do the things that she would. Now, theologians like to argue about this. Some of them say, well, you have the old nature and the new nature. Some of them say, no, the old man's dead. Romans 6 says, reckon yourselves be dead. That's an accounting term, you're dead. And what you have is the flesh that has been imprinted by the old nature. Now, here's my answer to that theological debate. I don't care. What I do know is there's a part of me that wants to do right. There's a part of me that loves the Bible, loves church, loves God's people, loves winning people to Christ. And there's a part of me wants to do wrong. There is a part of me wants to take the stupid fast food worker and stick their head in the milkshake machine. I think it's a law that at some fast food restaurants you may not have an IQ over 65. There's a part of me wants to put a V-shaped plow in the front of my car and shove everybody off the road who's going too slow. Which is 98% of all drivers. There was a great preacher years ago named J. Frank Norris. He would preach to 10,000 people in Fort Worth, Texas on a Sunday night. He had thousands of people saved. But he was mean. He was a rascal. He did some things nobody should have done. And I couldn't understand him. I was asking Dr. Monroe Parker about him. Monroe Parker knew him better than I did. And Monroe Parker said he was two men. And when he said that, it clicked because I'm two men. And you're two people. Your nature, the flesh, lusted against the spirit. The spirit lusted against the flesh. And that reminds us of our need. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Now, I used to struggle with Monty when I was a young preacher. Let's try and understand the distinction between abiding in Christ and walking in the spirit and being filled with the spirit and having the power of the spirit. I think I figured it out. They're all the same. Everything you do, you're either saying what I said when I sang my own version of no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I can do this. Or you're saying, Lord, help me. No unkind words have ever been spoken by people walking in the Spirit. In the Spirit of God, 
has never led to anybody to disobey the word of God. And so, it's very simple. I can do this, or God help me. John Van Gelderen came to preach for us some years ago. He said, but uh, he got up to speak the first time. When I was a student in college, there was a debate raging on the campus about the matter of friendship evangelism. He said, your pastor came, preached in chapel, and said a few words that effectively ended the debate. And I said on the platform of our church, and I said, I didn't know that. Now, I knew I was there. I knew what I was saying. I did not know there was a debate about friendship evangelism raging, raging in the campus. I did not know that, according to John Van Gelder, the words I said in my chapel message would effectively end the debate. Didn't know any of that. And the Spirit of God said to me, that's because you didn't do it. Does a bat know if it hit a single or a home run or a foul ball? No, but the batter does. I want you to understand something. God wants to use you to do miraculous things. Many of them, most of them, you'll never know about until you get to heaven. But it only happens if you are walking in the Spirit. So we have a problem. We have some principles, and I want to give you the plan or the path. And again, there is a theological debate. There's some confusion. There's one crowd that says, let go and let God. You just say, God, here I am, whatever he does, will use up to him. There's another crowd says, get your lazy carcass out of bed before the crack of noon and go knock at some doors and make some phone calls. And you can build your butt shop. You can win some converts. You can build your Sunday school class. One says, uh, trust, and one says, obey. One says, work, and one says, rely. I'll answer that question at the end of the message, which is not too far away. But I want to give you, as we look at this path, we talked about that confusion. I want to give you the concept. Here are four things that are part of being filled with the Spirit. Number one, it is a matter of your walk. Walk in the Spirit, the Bible says. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I cannot tell you how to stay in the Spirit for the rest of your life. Or the rest of this year, or the rest of this month. But I like that word walk. It instructs me because your walk is made up of a series of steps. Now, every step is pretty simple. Let's imagine like this, you've set your alarm to give you time to have your Bible reading before you go to work. The alarm goes off. Part of you says, I better get up and read the Bible. Part of you says, man, I want to sleep and in the snooze button. So if you got up and read your Bible, you took a step in the spirit. 
If you had the snooze button stayed in bed, you took a step in the flesh. You're driving to work. Got the radio on. Commercial comes on and they're playing nasty music. You think you ought to probably turn it off or down, but you remember just before the commercial, the guy said, stay tuned because in the next segment, we're going to tell you about the two-headed alien that has invaded the body of Joe Biden. Man, you want to know about that. Oh, that'd be two more heads than he has now. And so if you leave the radio on so you don't miss the story, you just took a step in the flesh. It's not hard, folks. No trick questions here. If you turned it down, you took a step in the... You get to work. There's a guy that you've been trying to witness to, and he's a jerk. He's a first-class, double-barrel, triple-stitch jerk. And he said something critical, and in your mind comes the greatest retort possible. Put him down. Everybody would laugh at him. You'd be a hero. But if you say it, you probably have not helped your chances to win him to Christ. So if you say what you think, and you put him in your place, you just took a step in the... If you don't say it, took a step in the... It's not hard. I can't tell you how to walk for the rest of your life, but every step is pretty simple. Number two, it's a matter of your will. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. God says, just don't allow your body to be used for improper purposes. Don't do it as a matter of your will. Let's imagine that I play for the Detroit Pistons. I don't. I was invited to play basketball tonight. Mr. Morris said... Well, he had nicer words, but basically a bunch of old guys are going to play basketball. And uh, I wisely declined. But let's suppose I play for the Detroit Pistons, and we make it into the playoffs. And just then I get traded to the Indiana Pacers. And the Pacers are playing the Pistons in the playoffs. Now all my friends are in Detroit, my house is in Detroit, the people on the Detroit team are people I know. Don't know anybody in Indiana, don't know anybody on the Pacers team. All my affection, all my fleshly interest is with the Pistons. But if I'm an honest man, who do I play for? Play for the Pacers. You know why? Because they bought my contract. They own me. There's a lot of things I'd like to do. There's a lot of things my flesh would lead me to do, but the fact is, I'm not to yield my members' instruments as unrighteousness unto God, but righteousness unto sin. Not unrighteousness unto sin, but righteousness unto God. 
I heard about a guy who was riding on a train. There was one of those deals where two seats faced each other. The other three people in that little compartment knew each other. We're going to play poker. They wanted a fourth person to join the game. And they said to the man, would you play poker? Would you like to play poker? He said, oh, I'd like to. They dealt the cards out. He kind of sat there with his arms under the table. And he never picked up his cards. They said, hey, I said, do you want to play poker? Yeah, he said, I do. Well, pick your cards up. Oh, he said, I can't. They said, why not? He said, I don't have any hands. They were embarrassed. They made awkward conversation, but a little while later, he pulled his arm off under the table, scratched his head. Hey, buddy, I thought you said you didn't have any hands. I don't. What do you call those things at the end of your arms? Oh, he said, these, these aren't mine. These belong to God. I'd like to play poker, but he wouldn't. It's a matter of your walk. It's a matter of your will. It's a matter of your weakness. The Bible says in Romans 7:18, I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. Wow. Master Jeremy, you know what's good about you? Nothing. But Morris, you know what's good about you? Nothing. But Pastor Ryan, you know what's good about you? Not your piano playing. Good singing. Nothing. You know what's good about me? Nothing. You know what's good about any of us? Nothing. The Apostle Paul said, I've been preaching on this some. It's very fitting, I think, for my situation. He said, when I am weak, then I'm made strong. Then he said, I will glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I'm weak, then I am made strong. You see, if you know you can do nothing, then you know you must rely on God. If you think you can do something, then you'll try to do it on your own and make a royal mess. It's a matter of your weakness. God is not looking for strong, talented, good-looking, personable people to help him out. God is looking for people to know that in their flesh, there dwells no good thing to rely on him and trust him to do what only he can do. It's a matter of your weakness, a matter of your will, a matter of your walk. It's a matter of your want. The Lord Jesus. God. In John chapter 7, this is one of the places that the uh, modern translations are terribly in error. They make our Lord a liar. They say, I'm not going to the feast, and then he goes. In our Bible it says, I'm not going yet, and then he goes. But he said in verse 37 of John 7, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. What if... When you taught your Sunday school class and 
truths were implanted into the hearts and minds of your listeners that affected their lives forever? What if when you witnessed people listened and got saved and lives were changed, what if when you sang the Spirit of God worked through you and touched the hearts and encouraged the lives and changed the direction of people as they listened? What if in your family no unkind words were spoken, no critical comments were made, no fleshly statements? Wouldn't you love that? You're in a great church. You're in a church where God is doing tremendous things. But I always told our church members to take one Sunday vacation a year and try to find a church like ours. Just try. Good music, great preaching, wonderful people, loving spirit, honoring God, people that looked out for one another. Just try to find a place like that. But if Wally Criswell was correct, what God is doing here would be increased 20 times. If everybody said, Lord, help me. So, what is it? Is it you just turning over to God or is it you working hard? Well, the Bible gives you the answer. It says in Philippians, work out your own salvation. You do it. It's obey. Work. But then it says, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It says in Colossians, wherefore I labor, striving mightily. And then it says, according to his working, which worketh in me. So I want to give you a little illustration here tonight. I've asked the vacuum cleaner to be provided for me. You have a beautiful, well-maintained church, but there's a little bit of lint here on the platform. And so I'd like to just help out and clean up your platform a little bit. How am I doing? How am I doing? What's wrong? No power, you want me to turn it on? Now the vacuum is working and the platform is being cleaned, right? Well now what do you want me to do? I was pushing it and you told me to turn it on. You know what? The answer is not doing nothing and asking God to work. The answer is not working and not asking God to help. The answer is yielding yourself and working hard, having the vacuum plugged in and pushing it back and forth. It is not trust or obey. It is trust and obey. It is really trust to obey. Many years ago, my older daughter was at West Coast Baptist College. My wife had gone to see her. I was home with our younger daughter. Katie was driving the car that I normally drove. It was Thursday night. I was going out soul winning. 
So I drove my wife's electric blue PT Cruiser convertible. I bought her that car in 2005 with uh, 5,000 miles on it. We just sold it last summer. She loved that car. She was careful with that car. She parked way away from other cars. She knew every little dent and ding on the car. I had a little time after I was done soul winning before the late class that I taught in her Bible Institute. I think it started about 9.15. So I went into Walmart to buy some clear American. That's good stuff. No sugar, no sodium, no calories, just pure chemicals. I went in the line to pay for it. The lady in front of me had a check that was in her husband's name, but her name was not on the check. The lady at the cash register said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I cannot cash this check. Well, look at my driver's license, got the same address, got the same last name, I'm sorry. The lady said, I told him he needed to put me on there, I'm going to talk to him when we get back home. And um, I said, well, ma'am, I have some money. Unlike the government, I have money that I have not spent yet. I said, let me pay for your stuff. You write me the check. And she looked at me. She said, are you sure? Ladies, never ask a man if he is sure. We are always sure. We are not always right. We're always sure. So... She did that, and uh, we got talking. She said, uh, okay. she said, well, you need to go home and sit down and have a talk with your husband. You got to tell him this, this, and this. I had to talk like that with my husband, and we straightened things out. I didn't like the way that was going. I said, well, you could do what I do, and I told him how much money I eat my wife every week. And they said, wow, you ought to go around the country and give talks to men on how to be good husbands. I'd say, well, I do. I'm a Baptist preacher. I do marriage retreats almost every year. She said, well, don't talk to the women. Just talk to the men. I'd say, well, I don't tell them what I think. I tell them what the Bible says. Oh, she said, all right. I gave him a tract. I said to the lady, you, you call that number or email me, and I'll send you a DVD with some of that stuff on it. And I thought to myself, I'm really doing good. I had recently got hold of that verse about the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God has moved Luke to summarize the life of our Lord with these words. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed to the devil for God was with him. By the way, the verse before that says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Jesus never stopped being God. I do not believe he emptied himself of anything. Always, all God, all. But he chose to do every work he did on this earth in the power of the Spirit of God. Now that, well, I'm doing good. I got out to the parking lot. Some dirt ball had parked his car right next to my wife's BT Cruiser. I parked it way away from everybody. It was so close I could not open the door to put the clear American in. And I thought, what a jerk. And I had this thought, I have a twisted mind. 
I probably said some things while I'm here that make you raise an eyebrow, but if you knew all the things I thought and didn't say, you'd be very proud of me. <laughs> now, there's a meme to this, but I'd never seen such a thing. wasn't out back then. And I said, I'm going to get grocery cards and line them all around that guy's car. Then the Spirit of God said to me, oh, went about doing good. Oh, brother. So I took out a tract, slipped it through the open window, it was like the open window of the guy's car. And just as I did that, I heard, I, Pastor, Ann and Dee Hewitt were driving by. Do you know what I would have been doing when they came by if I'd done what my flesh wanted to do? Tell me how you would explain that. Now here's the deal. Do you know where I got off track? It was not when I got irritated that that guy had parked so close. It was not when I thought, ah, I'm going to put grocery carts all around that car. It was way back in Walmart. It's easy to get off track in Walmart. When I said, I'm really doing good. Instead of saying, Lord, help me to say the right thing. Help those ladies to read that track. Please, Lord, use it to save them. I don't know about you, but the hardest thing I have to do is to remember to walk in the Spirit. Lord, would you use these simple thoughts to change lives? Please do what only you can do. Help to be so well. Thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I wonder who'd say, Brother Willett. I sure got room to improve. I'm not at all perfect. But I do believe that as a general rule, I walk in the Spirit. And I think as I heard the message, it was confirmed that I'm on the right path. God confirmed in my spirit that I'm doing what he wants me to do. I think there are people like that. If you can say that, would you raise your hand up high? God bless you. Thank you. Most of us couldn't say that. Thanks for being honest. So who would say, I could not say that I have been walking in the spirit, but I want to, by God's grace, begin to practice what I heard tonight. Pray with me about that. If you'd say that, would you raise your hand up high? God bless you. If you did well at this last night, would you try it again? Immediate obedience to the spirit of God. You raised your hand. Would you stand up right now? Come out of your seat. Find a place at the altar and do business with God. God bless you. That's right. God bless you. 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 Father, thank you for these who are coming up. Others who ought to join them to do so. And we will praise you in Jesus' name for all that you do. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed, nice clothes, the music plays.